Hello and welcome to episode 181 of The Dive Down, a Magic the Gathering podcast focused on the latest decks, trends, and strategies for the casual spike. My name is Stanislav here in Chicago, and with me on the line from Denver, Colorado, it's the one and only Shane Beeps. Stanislav, it's Thursday night. Wow. What are we doing? What are we doing here? A, a whole brand new direction for the podcast. We're now recording drop-ins on Thursdays. Yeah. Let's, uh, you know what? I think we should just record our podcast a week early so that we have no information about what happened on the weekend. But then we can just take every week off if we recorded a week early every week. Oh my gosh. That's not bad. This is perfect. Why have we never thought about this before? We get every week off if we record on Thursday. Yeah, if we record a week early. That other voice we're hearing is, of course, the godfather, Dave Harbarger. It's it's me. I'm here, but I'm not here. I'm like a ghost of myself. I'm an apparition from an alternate dimension, because I'm not here this week. That's right. Dave's not here, man. That's right. Today, we're doing things a little differently, because we're going to have our intro and housekeeping with Dave, as you can hear his apparition now. And then we're actually going to jump into a dive down with a special guest, Todd Anderson, friend of the show, back on to talk about Pioneer ahead of regional championship qualifier season and other things. Oh, I'm going to be sad to miss that by being a ghost. Dave, where are you? I'm being a ghost. That's but where all. are you? Where are you going? Yeah, where's where is your your fleshy husk? Ghost Island. Ooh. <laughs> he's, a, he's an island boy. I'm on a I'm, ghost beach. I'm done asking. All right, let's jump Dave's, into Dave's practicing good offsec. I'm just going to be in my house. That's where I'm going to be. Yeah, right. You're going to be in a hot tub. You're taking your hot tub with you, aren't you? Ooh, it inflates and deflates. For sure. I'm just spending one entire week off uh, celebrating July 4th, the only way I can in an inflatable hot tub. Cool. I'm happy for you. Let's jump into housekeeping. Before all that hot tubbing. (laughs) (laughs) Now, before all that hot tubbing, let's housekeep. No new patrons, no new reviews, but... The reason we're doing this whole convoluted recording arrangement is because we have a very exciting and special announcement that we can't wait to share with you, the listener. The beginning of a brand new partnership in the pantheon of Dive Down Partnerships. We are officially, as of now, it has been approved by our lawyers and their lawyers, going to be the official podcast of the Nerd Rage series. Sweet. We don't really have any lawyers, do we? Are they on retainer? Yeah. I've retained. Um, that's, so, where all the, uh, that's where all the Patreon money's going. Stan has retained one. <laughs> yeah. He's working on retaining more, apparently. But Yes, I've, I've retained one when we exchanged vows, and she gives me a really good rate. A love, lovely ceremony. Yeah, Nerd Rage series, the tournament series that's bringing competitive paper magic to the Midwest and its outskirts. Very exciting to be asked, invited, and, and really be a part of this organization semi-officially. So really, what does that mean? It means we're going to do the same things that we have been doing, which is focusing on the paper tournaments that NRG has been putting on all over the Midwest. We'll be focusing on the metagame breakdowns, the tournament breakdowns, bringing you the top eight, all that kind of good stuff. And really, uh, it's just because we want to work as closely as possible with uh, NRG, the company, and just do the best we can. Yeah. But wait, there's more. Oh, I like more. So... Yes, we're going to break down and recap the tournaments. We'll also be doing some preview content ahead of the tournaments to help some of our more local listeners and even travelers help prepare and and get a sense for what they should expect ahead of these events across the beautiful, flat Midwest region of the United States. And 
as another special perk to whoever hears this, but really our listeners, we got a new promo code. Listeners of the show can use promo code DIVE8 to get 8% off all of your online orders from the Nerd Rage Gaming online shop. I don't think this is a one-time use only code. You can just keep getting 8% discounts. Yeah, it's just just flat out 8% off, off your order if you are a Dive Down listener. And that's it. There's there's no funny business, and it's just a, a way of uh, Nerd Rage giving back to our loyal listeners. And even the unloyal ones. If you're just here once, you get to use it anyway. That's right. And why are we doing this? Well, a couple other things. So you, you'll start to see uh, the Dive Down podcast appear in the articles section on nerdragegaming.com, where we'll, they'll be posting kind of a cross-link to our website there. Um, not that you have to get it from anywhere else. It's still going to be in iTunes, of course. It's just another place you might see us pop up. Um, there's a chance that we, depending on events that Stan and I potentially make it out to, or even Shane occasionally, you might see us on camera for a little Q&A session here and there, or maybe we'll get tapped in to talk a little bit on camera. But the main thing is, you know, we are going to be covering the events in in dive-down fashion, the breakdowns that we do, talking with people occasionally, but mostly talking amongst ourselves about what we think about the metagame and the way that you have become accustomed to us uh, breaking events down. And why are we doing this? Because Norm and the people at Nerd Rage Gaming are saving paper magic. That is what I think. That's why we thought we would talk to these folks when they reached out to us, why we felt like it was a good cause. And to be clear, we're not getting paid for this. So it's yeah, not I was, was going to say, yeah, it's this, not is, a, this is not us getting a kickback. It's back. not an ad. It's not a paid promotion or anything like that. We just think that what Nerd Rage Gaming is doing is cool. And um, we wanted to be a part of it to help them bring competitive paper magic specifically to the Midwest, but also really... It's probably one of the best tournament series running right now in paper at the moment, as far as multi-event things go. And so we jumped at the chance to be a part of it. So I'm not getting paid? No. No. Nothing? Not even for, for promo code uses? I mean, you get, you get 8% off your order. No, we don't even get a kickback. We're just we're just offering that. You know, it's just a flat-out offer to our listeners. But yeah, I think it's, uh, it's not a new era of the dive down. It's just continuing to do what we want to be doing, which is work with great people, doing cool things. And that's about it. But we just wanted to let you all know that if you see us in some new places or uh, if you see a cool ad on the NRG stream or something like that, that's uh, all just because of our new and or just slightly improved relationship with NRG. Last thing I have to say is, Zoe, Jesse, Zach, go get them. You're our people well, in this. You're, Cora, you're our, yeah, yeah, Cora. Yeah, we like Cora too, but Shark. Cora's not up on the leaderboard yet. Oh, that's a but good Zoe, point. Zoe and Jesse and Zach are. Let's, let's see it. Let's take it to the wire. Let's see what happens. Awesome. Excited for this new era. Thank you, Dave and Shane, for, for joining me on this Thursday evening to record the special intro and this exciting announcement. Now, without further ado, let's introduce our very special guest for this week, replacing Dave, hopefully not forever, definitely temporarily. Yeah, I'll take it. At least for an hour or so. It's the one and only Todd Anderson. Todd, we actually do have you in the studio. How are you? I'm doing great. How are you doing, Shane? Hanging in there, man. We also do, we have Stan on the line, but Stan has his child in the in the room with him and you know what that means he's not going to be on mic for a minute because he's got to take care of 
take care of his little one. You know, th- this could all be solved via movie magic. You don't gotta, you don't gotta show him how the sausage is made. You know, oh, it's way more fun. It's way more fun <laughs> to just to, to to pull the curtain back a bit. But Todd, it's awesome to have you back. We had you on way back in like early 2020 before the world fell apart and everything went to poop. Uh, so we are glad to again have you back again to talk about Pioneer. How have the la- <laughs> how have the last two and a half years been for you, Todd? Not great, Bob. Uh- <laughs> <laughs> now, you know, um, I, I was basically lampooned in California for two years on uh, like half of it was in lockdown. The other half was just like living out there after moving, not knowing anybody. Uh, it's hard to make friends when you're over 30. Apparently, I didn't know. Oh, my that, gosh. Yeah. You're telling me, my dude. So, um, you know, they haven't been the best. Uh, we've lost some some good people and, and we've moved back to Roanoke now, but we're Surrounding ourselves with friends and trying our best to see family and having a as good a go as, as as we can, I guess. Yeah, man. I mean, the social networks, family, friends. You you don't know how important it is until you're 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 lacking it a little bit. And I know you had kind of the adventure with your your wife out in California for the it was for Hearthstone, basically for her Hearthstone gig, right? Yeah, she uh she was the uh direct or like the lead on Hearthstone esports for uh, over a year. Word. Well, I'm glad that you are are back in a comfortable spot. I'm glad that you're back also here with us. We have Stan back on the mic, I believe. Hello. Hey, Stan. Hi, Stan. Um, we were just introducing Todd. Asking uh, Stan, how were the how were your last two and a half years? By the way, I've I've had a pretty okay two and a half years. Uh, I got married. I had a child. Everything's coming up, Stan. Stan, you weren't on the show last time I was on the show. It was two other guys whose names I, I don't quite remember at this point. It's been a long time. And now I know Shane because Shane's in my chat all the time. He's a, a mm-hmm. year and a half sub now. That's right. But you, you're an enigma. You are a. a you know, Teferi's puzzle box waiting to be open, my friend. <laughs> Where are you from? What do you do? Is oh, it just God. this? Or are you I'm, like an engineer? This is, I am certainly not an engineer. Really, I'm, I'm a digital marketing professional more than anything. Ah, so you're a white man. Oh, <laughs> yeah. uh, sorry. You know, I'm a white guy back, who doesn't play guitar, so that's why I started a podcast. Oh, did you know they call a group of white men over 30 a podcast? The same that's, way they call a flock of ravens? They call it a, a murder of crows or whatever? Todd, I, you know what? I have the perfect answer to your question. I'm uh, <laughs> on a personal level. I'm from Chicago, um, nice. but on a magic level, I'm just someone who's deeply puzzled by Pioneer, and I've been playing a ton of it since the Pro Tour announcement. Oh, and man. I'm going to blow your why, world, dude. And you're the one to do it because you're not only playing the decks, but innovating some of the strategies that I gravitate to very much nice. so. Are you a big fan of this Is It deck I've been playing a bunch? Oh, do I have questions? I've done two yeah, leagues. We have a whole segment. And okay, okay. I don't want to jump ahead. I, you know, That's just what I've been working on, and, and you look like a, an Is It guy. Oh, God. oh, man. How could you tell? Did you, you like see tell. right through me? Yeah. yeah. A Brian Gottlieb type. You like to cast Divination. I've never cast a Divination. I prefer well, like a, expressive you, iterations. You're a fan of a good draw, too. You know? You've played a good draw, too, in your life. Of course. Of course. <laughs> Why not look at the top three and then like get to draw two ostensibly? Yeah. That, that's the real and juice. And then get banned. Congrats. No. Yeah. We'll definitely talk about that as well. So, so Todd, uh, again, so yeah, we're, we're kind of hinting at the goal of this episode is to really get people in the weeds. I usually say I'm not going to get in the weeds, but we're going to get in the weeds into Pioneer 
Uh, we're headed yeah. into the, to the regional championship qualifier season over the next few weeks. Stores are holding tournaments in a variety of formats. Uh, for example, by me, there's a few like sealed tournaments and some constructed ones. I'm not going to be able to make like any of them because of my vacation I have planned. But Stan, I know that it looks like by you all in Chicago, there's a few modern, a few pioneer. Oh, a few is an understatement. There's do- across the Midwest, there are dozens of RCQs between now and like late August and. As far as I can tell, 95% of them are constructed formats split between modern and Pio. Todd, are you going to be playing any uh, RCQs? Uh, I played a super PTQ on Magic Online today. Um, A few of my friends drove to a a RPTQ that was like an hour and a half away. Um, I will probably just play Magic Online events and stream them. It's just hard for me to justify traveling for tournaments when the prize is the same on Magic Online, basically. No, that makes sense. If you qualify for DreamHack Atlanta, would you play in the championship? Yeah, absolutely. I, I've been uh, talking to Torben. I, I want to do commentary for it since it's Pioneer. Uh, and I, I just, I want to do commentary full time. That's like my dream in game or whatever, just being an old commentary guy. Yeah, I remember, I remember the olden days back when we had SCG and you were doing commentary. Those, those were some, some nice days to look back on. Yeah, I've been using some of my stream time to watch old uh, SCG tour matches where I'm playing for player championship slots and battling, you know, Edgar uh, Magiege and Ross Miriam and all those folks, Jared Thompson. It's, th- those are fun old matches to watch. As long as we're talking about commentary, do you think people who have ambitions of commentary can almost take that approach to try to hone their skills and kind of demonstrate their ability to talk about games. It's just like stream old matches and provide their own discussions about them. I mean, you certainly could. I I don't know. I, I think that um, there's a lot of context you miss from watching old constructed formats or even more from old limited formats, unless you're just completely versed in them. One of the beautiful things about me doing the commentary over those old matches, too, is that I was at every tournament. I just mm-hmm. know yeah. every format we're, we're watching. <laughs> I was in every player's championship race for like seven years or whatever. So I got a lot of a lot of backlog to, to watch, to look through. Yeah, I think, you know, now that we're on the subject, some people, some random people listening to this podcast might not actually know who you are, Todd. And <laughs> yeah. so, so let's let's give people like the the elevator pitch on you, right? Like, so okay. you know, you played Magic, yeah. So uh, <laughs> once or I've twice, been, I've been playing Magic since about ninety seven, ninety eight, very casually for a couple years, and then started playing tournaments around like two thousand two. Went to like my first PTQ either late two thousand one or early two thousand two, and um, I picked up a, a gig writing for Star City Games in two thousand late 2008 early 2009 and then i made the national team for 2009 for the usa i was in the uh third fourth place seed and i beat brad nelson playing for the slot after that i played on the scg tour almost primarily i played a few pro tours you know maybe 10 or 15 total and i have over 100 pro points i mean i don't know if if the people watching if they don't know who i am they probably don't know what pro points are either because those have been gone for a little while. Uh, I have the most uh, SCG Tour top eights on on like their open Dang. series, and I am tied for most wins with Tom Ross and Jerry Thompson for I think seven or eight majors, so just opens or invitationals. Heck so, yeah! So you're pretty good. Yeah, one, yeah, you, I'm you okay. Won a few games. I got second in a Grand Prix once. I used to be Reduke. Who? Reduke the the. Uh, you might know him as Reader Rabbit. That's what oh, he goes yes. by on yes. online. Oh, Reader Rabbit. Yeah, I think yes, I've heard so. of him. Yeah. And so right now you are doing a, a lot of streaming on Twitch under the the handle Tandy T A N D Y, uh, and you're 
you have a Patreon going. Uh, Patreon.com slash Tandy. It's twitch.tv slash Tandy. Uh, it's Tandy MTG and other places where Tandy is already taken, like YouTube and uh, Twitter. Twitter, yeah. Got it. And yeah, and uh, you primarily are streaming Pioneer, right? Yep. Uh, Constructed Magic, uh, 100%. And I play, sorry, I played a cube draft the other day. I can't, oh, I don't want to lie to you folks. Sorry. Um, we're gonna we're yeah. gonna check the receipts, Tom. I, I played like two modern leagues and two cube drafts, and then probably about four hundred pioneer leagues in the last six months. So, so your pioneer resume is also impressive because when the format first emerged, you were just leading the ban initiative. It's like with mono green at first, you were just innovating that deck constantly and like just getting cards banned out of it practically every week. Yep, you, you've stuck with the format, you know especially lately after it's been reinvigorated by Wizards of the Coast. What is it about Pioneer that's like spoken to you for so long and has motivated you to really focus on that above all other formats? Well, like um, like every good constructive format, it waxes and wanes based on cars being added, cars being banned. Um, there was probably a good six-month period where it was my favorite format, and then there was a four-month period where it was unplayable. After they printed uh, Ravnica, I believe it was Ravnica Legion, whatever the one that Uro was in, Uro and Underworld Connect, Underworld Breach, un- Breach, Breach, and there was like five cards that just completely screwed the whole pooch. And even Heliod, Heliod came in and made Ballista. There was five combos, uh, Thassa's Oracle. They were all the same set, right? And and most of those either got banned, got something banned, or were banned. And um, and the format was just unplayable for four or five months because of it. But other than that, you know, uh, during lockdown, I, I switched games a little bit. I, I tried my best to dip my toes in modern and, and pioneer for content creation. But for the most part, I was just playing Warzone. I was playing Player Knows Battlegrounds, Hearthstone they were, Battlegrounds. They were weird times for us all. I mean, you got you only got so much time in the day, and I don't want to play Magic for 12 of it, you know? Yeah. But you're back on Pio primarily now. Yeah. Yeah, my, my magic my magic playing is almost entirely Pioneer. I When we did the team tournament recently, I, I was playing Pioneer. All my streams are Pioneer. Pioneer is where it's at right now. Interesting. So what about Pioneer is appealing to you? Is it the fact that it's kind of like, you know, it's still like a niche in the content creation sphere? Is it the way the matches actually play out and the decks that you have available availability to play or the difference between something like Modern or what's the draw for you? Pioneer kind of feels like what Modern was when Modern was first released, and I think that's just a, a symptom of the more sets are made, this the bigger the card pool, just everything gets really diluted, all the powerful stuff just kind of floats to the top. Um, I think Pioneer specifically was really fun at first because it was just the Wild West. Mm-hmm. Um, on literal day zero of them announcing, it was like Monday, you know, noon Eastern time. They're like, hey, here's this new format. My stream started at one or whatever, and, and I already was in the Magic Online a free form room with my buddy Scooter and we just started building decks and playing. And one of the first decks I built was like the Mardu Gideon unlicensed integration, heart of Kieran deck. And then we built uh, all sorts of energy decks and, and Etherworks Marvel. And we were just, it was day zero Yeah, and we were just all, and it was fun and the games were great. Uh, my stream popped off when I started doing that and I became like, uh, you know, I became the pioneer guy and then uh, now I just kind of readopted it basically. So for sure. Well, let's get into the actual kind of nuts and bolts of Pioneer. And the first thing I wanted to kind of talk about is how do you think Pioneer functions as a format, like broadly? Like, what are the fundamentals of how the games and the matches play out? 
differently than say modern, differently than say standard, something you know, differently than other constructed formats prior to it. I mean, if we're talking about broad strokes, there's the 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 thing that's probably the biggest draw is just the sheer number of playable decks. And modern, you can say like, oh, there's a hundred different playable modern decks, but eighty uh, percent play one of three cards. You know, Urza Saga, uh, Dragon's Race Channeler, whatever. You know, and and in in Pioneer, it's like a bunch of decks that all kind of have their own identity. They haven't bled together as much thanks to Modern Horizons two. Uh, so they all kind of feel unique and they all kind of feel like they have have, uh, you know, come here from a place that is organic. Whereas a lot of the the, the decks that are in, in modern, I think, are uh, manipulated by the market. You know, the Modern Horizons 2 releases and Modern Horizons 1 release both just completely dominate modern. Do you think any part of that organic generation of Pioneer decks is a place where old standard decks can live on, which is, I think, was part of the intention of the format. Yeah, I mean, that that's how Modern was when it first came out, too. I, I've been playing Magic forever. I, I was there when Modern was first released, and I'm like, oh, I can play my Deceiver Exarch Splinter Twin deck. And that wasn't a Modern deck. That was a standard deck that became a Modern deck. And and here we're seeing a lot of the same stuff. Monogreen Devotion becomes a Pioneer deck when it was great and when it was in Standard. And Rakdos Midrange, this is not a deck that really was before, but it's basically carved itself out thanks to powerful interaction like Thoughtseize and Fatal Push. And then you just have a critical mass of, of powerful interaction with all these uh, cheap interactive pieces. So the, I, I just think that the draw is that it, a lot of the decks are uh, unique in their identity and none of them feel forced. And a lot of them have like four different ways you can build them. So I, I think overall, it's just a lot of a lot to love about the deck selection and building processes. So if that's the draw and, and the bright side of Pioneer, what do you think is maybe the rub with this format? Like, what are some of the things that people need to accept or get over if they're going to continue to focus on it? So I was going to say... Just the overall power level is kind of ridiculous sometimes, uh, but that's that was before they banned Winota. I, I think banning Winota really slowed things down. It really allowed the format to open up a bit. You're seeing a lot more, you know, sacrifice mid range like creature decks than there were before. I mean, Winota you could count it as a creature deck, but I think Winota more so plays like a creature deck that has this like trapdoor spider that just pops out and kills you <laughs> from nowhere. And there's just not a whole lot you can do about it because of the way they bottleneck you. Uh, but nowadays, like, most of the decks feel pretty similar in power level. I mean, you can say, that, like, oh, yeah, Monogreen Ramp, that deck with Nykthos goes ballistic, 90 to nothing, whereas Rakdos Midrange takes 18 turns to kill you. Not <laughs> yeah. not quite the same as far as power level, but you can say that Thoughtseize is on par with Nykthos, if you ask me. You know, just the, they're, they're just the pinnacle of their type of game piece. Mm-hmm. Yeah, in terms of the the actual games that play out like one of the things that i feel very different between let's say pioneer and modern which is the other primary format we cover is that pioneer just it feel like you you're almost always besides a very few decks like you're playing to the board and you're winning on the board in some way shape or form and i feel like in in modern like of course you have to kill them somehow right and you're not always just sort of doing like a a two card combo type thing but i feel like largely pioneer is more of an attrition gameplay format by and large more than modern is but i'm curious what your thoughts on kind of the actual gameplay elements of pioneer versus something like modern well if you look at the actual construction of the decks you'll notice that nearly every single deck is built a to either withstand interaction or b to interact heavily 
you know, you have like your uh, Is It Phoenix decks where they're basically insulated from most uh, interaction, whether it be removal or discard or counter spells, because all their cards functionally do the same thing. Uh, they either put stuff in the graveyard or bring back Phoenix or our Arclight Phoenix. And uh, something like Monoret is pretty similar, where every deck, every card is basically just deal you two, two and a half damage. And so you get uh, into these really long attrition games where you have these like cool top deck races and you have these like draws where if you peel treasure cruise you're you're going off and if you don't peel treasure cruise well you're probably dead as a door now and i think that one of the cool things about the gameplay of the format is that you do play to the board more there is more interaction but the game pieces are almost as powerful uh they're just you know maybe half a step back from from modern and a lot of that is due to modern horizons too but a lot of it's just the way that magic's been developed in the past decade you know you see modern is the last 20 years pioneers basically the last 10 some years they're you know they're pretty close in about uh to about you know a two to one timeline as far as what's available to you and they've really made some disgusting prints and reprints in the last decade so yeah i mean i agree i mean i think that it's just like it's interesting to me how it does remind me a lot of kind of early modern, like when I was playing like in 2014, 2015, like it's not the very earliest days of modern, but it was simply, it was maybe very much before the horizons era, which is a big a seismic shift for sure. And it's something that I, I really hope they honestly never bring to pioneer. I can't imagine. Yeah. Fat f-ing chance on that one. <laughs> yeah. They're definitely not going to make $7 million for no, for literally no trying, not even trying. No. Todd, because you mentioned Winota, I'm just curious, as a baseline, yes or no, prior to Winota's ban, do you think it was actually the most powerful deck in the format? Uh, no. I think Is of Phoenix was the most powerful deck in the format. Whoa. I mean, it, it won like every tournament. How can you argue? I mean, I, I can't. So, okay, that being said, do you think Phoenix is still the best deck in the format? No, I, I think that it, it waxes and wanes based on a hundred different factors, but most recently, Expressive Iteration got banned. There's no more Expressive yeah. Iteration. There's no more Winota. Uh, so you, you took away this like powerful aggro deck and you opened up like space for 80 other aggro decks to come in and basically be a part of the metagame now. And then you also took away arguably the best card draw spell printed in the last decade. I personally think, and people can argue with me about this till they're blue in the face, I am confident that Expressive Iteration is a better card draw spell than Dig Through Time. Um, and my logic behind this is, uh, I played a lot with both of them, and Express Iteration was always way better in every format because you could just cast it on turn three, and you would always either find the land or the one mana piece of spell that you wanted to cast, either interaction or draw. And like it was just always a two for one is insane. Yeah, there's something to be said for casting a spell that you need on turn three instead of like on turn seven. Right. Mm-hmm. In fact, uh, I was listening to your episode on rants with. Um, with with Ross Tannen and Tannen. And Ross, yeah. yeah, and you had said something about EI after it was banned that, I, and man, I've been casting Expressive Federation since it's been printed. I love the card, and something that never really occurred to me and has almost changed the way I look at deck building, especially in Pioneer since it's banned, is just like how critical it was for hitting land drops. Yeah. And I feel like replacing it, and I'm curious if, if you agree or disagree, but like as I've tried to replace it in some of the other, is it decks, like part of it has to do with like just putting in more lands in your deck so that you're actually hitting lands more consistently that you weren't when EI was around. Yeah, absolutely. It literally was the best card draw ever printed. Imagine you get to play a, a chart of course that draws two every time, and that's basically what it is. And something like that just helps you almost ensure land drop, and it even looks one deeper than something like chart of course would do. I, I actually had this conversation with my wife one night. We were just sitting around, you know, 
Just talking uh, about EI. Just talking, just talking about life and magic and stuff. And I'm like, I looked at her. I'm like, do you have? You know, she doesn't play a ton of magic, so I just want to stress that. She, but she has played. She understands the history of the game. And I said, do you think a spell that was blue red draw two cards sorcery? Do you think that would be too good? And she looks at me. And she goes, probably. <laughs> and I was like, well, expressive iteration. I think is better than that. Mm-hmm. Because it yeah. almost always is that, but it looks one deeper. So, I don't know. That's yeah, no. such a bonkers card. So, are you saying that you don't think there's a best deck right now that's just, like, kind of carved in stone? Do you think it's really actually changing week to week? Oh, month to do month? not put words in my mouth, sir. <laughs> okay, uh, all right, good. No, the, the, the best deck in the format right now is Monogreen Devotion by a wide margin. And okay. it's, oh, not really? that it, it's not that it's unbeatable. It's just that it is the most consistent and most powerful. And when you get those two things together, the only thing that can stop it is like dedicated hate or expressively like a suppressive archetype. And without one of those two things, you cannot stop it. You cannot beat it via mid-range interaction. You cannot beat it via conventional means. They will go over the top of you thanks to Storm the Festival, A Million Planeswalkers, and just the most consistent draws I've ever seen. Yeah. Um, How do you hate it then? You're saying you have to hate it out. How do you yes, actually you do have, that? You have to hate it out. I mean, um, the so stainful the, stroke, damping sphere. Uh, get I, under it. I'm, yeah, getting under it, I think, is the best way. You can play a couple creatures and then disdainful stroke. I think that's why mono blue spirits is so good against them. Um, they just have like the game plan of play a couple things early and then they just counter your two or three payoffs with their random counter spells, or they just ignore like old growth troll doesn't do anything against them. Right. So they they just fly over it. And so a deck that can basically invalidate your ground presence and has some cheap interaction for your payoffs, like they can definitely beat you in that regard. And the same way that I think blue eye control is a, a horrible matchup for mono green devotion because they just have, Two, three Dovin's Vetoes main deck, three or four Absorbs, and just a ton of card draw. So, like, nothing that really pays off ever resolves, and they just have removal that exiles on every step of the tree. So, Old Gold Troll is just, like, never really an issue either. And you just don't beat down very well. Yeah. Do you think Mono Green is, is, is so good and so prevalent that it's warping the meta around it, like we've seen in, in other metas with, like, really particularly powerful decks like let's say you know is it phoenix and modern or something like that so i think it's vulnerable enough to its own draw sometimes like if you have an opener that's like two elves and two lands and one or two of your elves dies sometimes you just do nothing yeah right? nothing still nothing and and the same was true with winota you know you play an elf they kill it. you play an elf they kill it. and sometimes you just get stuck on two lands with your voice or resurgence deck and play a couple random two drops and then your opponent just like brings back three Arclight Phoenix on turn four. And like, what are you going to do about it? Nothing. And it, it's very similar with mono green ramp in, in, in this regard where um, your mana generation uh, generation is uh, really important, but at the same time, your payoffs resolving is also important. So you're vulnerable a from your early drops being killed and B from your late drops being countered. And you kind of dominate everything in that middle ground. So if you have enough life to make it to four against a red deck, if you have enough, uh, you know, mana generation in the early turns, you're just going to slaughter like your Rakdos mid-range type strategies. For sure. So you mentioned mono blue spirits as like a successful strategy against mono green and Azorius control as another one. And I think that those are three of the four most popular decks, I think, right now. Of course, based on uh, MTG Goldfish, which is, you know, the percentages there are kind of a little bit 
spurious from time to time, but the only other one there is Rakdos Midrange, and I think that Mono Green Ramp certainly seems like it stops that when I've played with or against it on those decks, right? So it's it's kind of funny that we see, I think, those decks as kind of the tier one or you know tier zero even of the Pioneer metagame. And so it seems like we're kind of in more or less, is this like a paper, scissors, rock type format, or is this something where it's a lot deeper than that and we shouldn't just dismiss it as such? I think it's more like an onion. There's a bunch of layers. I, I think that Monogreens is the clear best deck. Um, it has two natural foils that are in the in the second tier of Mono Blue and Azorius. I think um, Mono Blue and Azorius both get pounded by Rakdos mid. Mono Red beats up on Azorius, usually, usually loses to Rakdos mid. So you kind of get these folding chairs, but then mono green just beats everything else. Like everything, <laughs> everything below that tier mono green just dumpsters. And then sometimes you have people who play Phoenix or hidden strings, uh, you know, Lotus field combo and, and they, they find their way. And occasionally someone will just find a new build of an old archetype. And it just uses like illuminator virtuoso in your Boros aggro deck. And it turns out that's a hot knife through butter through all the decks that are currently running around. And you have like Boros aggro when, Win a win a tournament or something. So, I, I love just how versatile and, and adaptive the metagame can be. What do you think makes decks strong in Pioneer? Like, is it that they are doing something that's actually hard to interact with? Is that they just have like a really strong base power level? Like, is that they're really fast? Like, what do you think defines strength in a format like Pioneer? Um, it's basically synergy versus not. Uh, I I know that sounds kind of broad strokes or whatever, but if you look at standard, um, your better standard decks for the last decade have been just the ones that have either mana acceleration and the biggest like three, four, and five drops. Like those are your mid range decks. Your control decks are just like you know the best uh, control deck. Like you know they just have all the best reactive spells and and various wrath effects and stuff. Um, I think that specifically in Pioneer, it's it's just synergy. And you can see that in every single death, deck that's successful, except for Rakdos Midrange. <laughs> hmm. I, I'd love to run something else by you, though. One of the things that I feel like makes Mono Green so strong is that, with the exception of Counter Magic, you basically can't one-for-one one with it. Or at least you can't really one-for-one one with it on the board. You have to do it on the stack, otherwise just the interaction, the board-based interaction in the format just can't really deal with the type of threats that Mono Green is putting down. I wonder if that's also a part of either, not just the deck's strength, but the format's identity is just like finding the power within synergies that you can't necessarily one-for-one one with. Well, if I mean, we can just look at the top 10 decks on Goldfish right now. I, you know, I'm not going to list every single one, but we got like Mono Green, Rakdos Mid, Azorius Control, Mono Blue Spirits. Mono red, like these. These are the top five decks percentage wise in the format, right? Mono green, completely and utterly synergy driven. Acceleration, pips for Nykthos, storm the festival, even getting milled over with the Cavalier of Thorns. There's, they're just synergy out the wazoo. Rakdos midrange has none of that, and 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 I and I want to stress that while the strength of some of these decks does come from that synergy. There are still decks that just are collections of the most powerful spells in their color combination, and that can be a viable strategy in effectively any format if the strength of those cards is high enough. Um, Azorius Control, you know, very similarly, just the, it, it relies completely on the strength of Teferi, Hero of Dominaria, and the Wandering Emperor together, just two insane Planeswalkers. Uh, but then every single deck after that, you're just going to see like four two-card combos in every single one of these decks, and a most every single one of those two card combos 
has a card of those two that is just fine by itself, you know? Like your your Witch's Oven, you know, can turn on your Mayhem Devil and it sacrifices your uh, one-drop creature. So even though if you don't have Cat, it's still pretty good, right? Your Is It Phoenix, like, oh, I didn't draw Phoenix in the top 20 cards, but I flipped Thing in the Ice and now all your stuff's back in your hand and all my cards work together. And that's the mm-hmm. big stressor here is you need most of your cards to work together, but... Sometimes you need them stand on their own when your opponent is heavily interacting with you. Mm-hmm. So we talked about mono blue and Azorius as good good foils to mono green. Do you think that their power level and position in the format is in part based on mono green's popularity, or could they still hold yeah, their absolutely. own in an open field? Well, um, there's some people on Magic Online who would uh, disagree with this sentiment specifically. There's one guy, Hiro Sakai, has played yes. Mono Blue Spirits yeah. every uh-huh. single time I've ever played against them for the last two years or whatever. I don't think it's a fluke that Mono Blue Spirits was basically a fledgling deck that only Hero played, and and now it's become a little more mainstream, and it's because it just beats the crap out of Mono Green. And to the point where the Mono Green decks have already started to adopt Skylasher as a powerful sideboard. I, can, uh, I cannot believe this card is a constructed staple. Yeah. <laughs> but... But it just fills a very uh, niche role, and 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 that that's kind of the beauty of of these older formats, where you can almost find a card for every single matchup that kind of hurts them pretty bad, and uh, and mono blue just happens to not be able to beat a pro blue can't be countered two two with reach with mm-hmm. flash also, yeah, a lot of stuff on there. Mono blue is going to need to find some kind of devoid spell to to deal <laughs> with it, like the blue Kozilek's return. There's a couple. There's a couple. Oh man, good point, Stan. There's some tech there. That's how we do it. So, all right. So we've talked about the counterspell decks. We've talked about mono green. What do you think are some of the maybe underappreciated decks in the format right now that people should maybe keep their eye on to? Uh, so I'll do one from like each archetype, I guess. Um, I think Niv to Light is a deck that can always creep back and win a tournament. I think Niv, basically the king of midrange. And if Rakdos midrange is the best deck in the format or like up there and it it becomes like you know widespread as a way to help beat up on some of these creature decks. Then Nivdalite could easily make a comeback and, and be a powerful contender. One card gets printed that fits into the archetype that changes things a little bit. Nivdalite becomes a contender for mid range. Boros Aggro, the like um, heroic, the heroic deck, deck that used to yeah used to play Luris, now it plays Gigantha. Um, you know it just plays a ton of these cheap creatures with a little bit of removal with Reckless Rage and then a ton of cheap targeted things like Defiant Strike to grow these heroic creatures and these prowess creatures, I think that that deck also beats the absolute mess out of mono green and they've been getting better at it because of illuminator virtuoso, this new two drop that has double strike and connive. And you can just make that thing outrageously large with an invigorating rampage and some defiant strikes and ancestral angers and stuff. So, uh, Boris Agro is my pick for the aggro deck, uh, for control, uh, Demir control. I know that, uh, waffle Tapo has been playing it a little bit. It looks pretty cool. Um, it has a lot of the same tools as Zori's control, but it plays mostly at instant speed, which is why I like it a little bit better. And then last but not least, the X Factor, Esper Grease Fang. Yeah. <laughs> that deck's always cool as hell, and Esper uh, is better than Abzan because you get to play Ledger Shredder, mm-hmm. and Ledger Shredder's cracked. It's so good. Known yeah. good card. So Shane, I've got Summer Fridays. I don't know if you know just about the these. Just the two of us. Me and Stan making content. Just the two of us. Barrister and man. 
That's good. I'm Barrister, you're a man. That's really good. I got to tell you about my summer Friday, Shane. Oh, please. I get a half day on from work every Friday. Oh my God. Why? Because I work for a giant corporation that is and they're just going like, hey, to be- we'll give it, we'll give we'll give people four free hours, four free hours, and you know what? Sometimes when I don't have meetings on Fridays and like nothing really do, basically have the whole day off. Oh my god! Basically, and you know what I like to do as part of my summer Friday ritual? I take a nice long hot shower. Oh, that's the best because it's really hard to do when you have a toddler. Find the time for showers. I take a nice long hot shower. Afterwards, I jump into the warm Batmobile, my warm robe. Okay, take the Batmobile down the hallway <laughs> to my other bathroom, that, which has like better water flow and hotter water. Okay. This is actually okay. totally true. Well, you have two bathrooms. We do have two. We have the master bathroom and then a guest bathroom. Man, my house only has one bathroom. Stan, the guest bathroom it has better water pressure in the sink. Yeah, and that's what I like to use to shave. Okay. And that's when I do my whole barrister and man ritual. It gets you me like ready for the weekend. That razor off? Oh yeah, yeah. I got, it just like cleans my whiskers much more thoroughly. <laughs> yeah, and it's just like a killer way to kick off the weekend. Just like a hot shower, a nice shave. I look all lined up, clean. I smell good. My wife gives me a kiss on the cheek and says, "Ooh, is that a? Is that? <laughs> is, are you doing something different? Did you get a haircut?" And I'm just like, just on my face. <laughs> I gave myself a haircut on my face. No, that's awesome. I totally agree. And I think that's something that's a little bit underappreciated just about kind of life in general, right? Is like sometimes it pays to be fast. Sometimes it pays to be slow. Sometimes, you know, sometimes you, you know, you throw a disposable in your dop kit because you don't want to like take a bunch of stuff. Sometimes you want to take, uh, you know, you want to leaf through your shaving soap collection and figure out what do you want to smell like that day, what your scent of the day is going to be. And I think that's what an awesome thing about Barrister and Man is that we have so many options to choose from, from the scent catalog, from the new releases that keep coming out, from you know the, the depths of Will's brain and the, the scents and, uh, products that he creates really just gives you something to enjoy all the time and something to look forward to all the time. And so if you want to be like Stan and sometimes like me, uh, I'm going to shave tomorrow. I'm already thinking about it because mm. I, I went for a hike today, so I didn't actually shave. I just hiked uh, oh, yeah. But tomorrow, tomorrow shave day. Oh man. I'm, I, I think it's going to be, I think it's going to be a sandalwood day. Oh wow. So, you know, just plan ahead. So God. if you want to be like, uh, I wish enjoy, I could smell you. Oh man. You know what yeah, I mean? Like, just come, go to the grocery store. <laughs> real, real, dive down, real dive down heads will know what I'm talking about. It. So um, head on over to Barrister and Man. That's M A double N, and you can use the coupon code the Dive Down fifteen for fifteen percent off your first order, and we appreciate it. One thing that I've been seeing pop up, and I, I don't want to just kind of be like, what do you think about this deck? What do you think about this deck? But one deck that Whatever. I do, do know people are curious about and has been popping up are these Bant and Four Color Humans lists. Mm-hmm. And I know that we have, have some fans of those in our, our Discord. And what do you think those are bringing to the table that other decks aren't? Or do you think that they're, they're not doing anything different? So Max McVD uh, used this deck in the winning seat for Pioneer for the SCG in is it Indy? I don't know. But, it was but a Max, team Max is like a he's just like an aggro expert, right? 
Right, that's what I'm going to say. I, I I can't win a match with those decks. I've tried them. Um, every time I play them, I don't have a one drop. I mulligan <laughs> five. You know, there's no ether vial, so there's no no nothing that bails you out from your bad mana draws. And uh, and I just get whooped. And so I don't really know the secret to those decks. So I'll say this: I, I've played a couple recently that were just bant, and I like the ones that were just bant. Um, but the four color ones are just stretching it a bit because you don't really add anything except Mantis Rider. And Mantis Rider is pretty good, but um, casting your spells is also pretty good, I heard. So. Yeah, I, I prefer casting my spells to have them rot in my hand, usually. I feel like Grease Fang still has to prove itself a little bit in the competitive space. Like, it's I mean, not maybe top to 80. you. <laughs> I, I it's already like... proven itself to me. It's good. It's just it's not, it's not winning, though. It's just exploitable. Yeah, I mean, the, the bills are bad, and the deck is like, Maybe five cards away from being S tier or whatever, but like yeah. the the deck is powerful and it has yeah. a great sideboard plan. You know, I I actually when when they first made Ledger Shredder, I played against a, a person on on the in the leagues that just had main deck Monastery Mentor, Ledger Shredder, and Grease Fang, and they kicked my butt. They just had a ton of considers and ops and removal spells, and the only things they had to loot were like Charter Course, Tainted Indulgence, something like that, and Ledger Shredder. And they murdered me. It was <laughs> gross. And I, I don't understand why more people haven't tried builds like that. But when I go and look at them, then you're like, oh, you have openers that have, you know, uh, Ledger Shredder, but no way to cast two spells because you drew two Barhelions. Right. So then you have draws like that, and you're like, okay, I get it now. This is maybe not so good. It, it almost reminds me of what Dredge, what Dredge used to be in Modern, where it's just like one of the sickest game ones in the format, but then just would have really strong silver bullets games two and three. But it almost sounds like this mentor version that you're describing like tries to eschew those silver bullets by just like having this powerful spell-based plan b because it's in esper colors yeah i mean and you know if if you build the deck right it's all one mana interaction and one mana cantrips right and so that just naturally pairs well with ledger shredder and ledger shredder mentor pair well together because young pyromancer and ledger shredder work well together so Hmm. a plus b equals play monster mentor you don't have to ask me twice or tell me <laughs> twice either either. Like, I mean, we we have talked about the Grease Fang decks and Explorer and their potential in Pioneer, especially after Winota was banned. It's like, well, is is Grease Fang just kind of the next Winota style deck where it's like have removal, have instant speed removal, or die? And I am a little bit surprised that this hasn't been the case really and grease fang has sort of been just like a league 5-0 deck rather than like mm-hmm. a challenge or a whatever the thing that you have to go 4-0 is the, the yeah, prelims that's also kind of bs too because there was a weekend where esper grease fang won both challenges or something like three months ago so i don't know like it waxes and wanes like there were mardu I, I know that mardu grease fang won a challenge like Every week is pretty up in the air what's going to win, I think. You just see, like, the trends for top eight, and that's what you have to prepare for. But then, you know, you try your your version of Grease Fang in the leagues, and it's like, oh, I played against eight decks that aren't Arclight Phoenix, so I just get my butt kicked. Mm-hmm. How are you preparing for, like, a Pioneer tournament then? Like, in, in terms of getting to the, the RCQ conversation again how how would you look at uh the metagame of pioneer the the games that you've been playing thinking about the 
paper versus online potential differences there? Like how would you set off to, to actually prepare for an event? Well, I mean, I, I think just actually playing the physical matches and, and trying to learn what is working and what isn't working as opposed to what's winning and not winning, uh, when you're playing it is important. Um, for example, when I first started playing Winota, I was like, oh, this deck is easy mode, you know, and I got like a 5-0 in my first league, and then I actually faced some resistance in the next couple leagues, and I got like a 2-3 and a 3-2, and I'm like, oh, maybe this deck's not as broken as I thought. And then the more I played with the deck, the more I realized cards like Fable the Mirror Breaker just add a lot of consistency to the deck, and so, you know, moving up in, in those numbers right when that card came out. And and we just figured out different ways to build it over time. Um but, but to answer your story, or to answer your question, rather, instead of telling a long story, I'm just going to say that I just recommend playing tons. If you play tons, you'll learn most of the decks inside and out. You can pick up whatever you think is the best deck for any given weekend. Um, things get banned or released all the time that, that change uh, all sorts of, you know, uh, deck choices and things like that. I don't know. Just pick what pick where your gut says. What does your gut say? Well, today I played an Izzet uh, Pyromancer deck in, in the Super PTQ on Magic Online. I went 5-0 and 4-1 in a couple leagues this week and was really digging the deck. But I went 0-2. I lost to Mythic Mebo, and then I had like a really tough match against Mono Red, and they had multiple Eidolons and just kind of yeah. folded me before I got out of the gate. And there you go. Tournament's over. Day's over. Play <laughs> Fall Guys, you know? <laughs> it's free on Switch. Let's talk about that deck because I know I know Stan wants to talk about this and I'm, I love yeah. hearing about it. So let's get, let's right. talk about this one a little bit. So I guess like the first question is, what inspired you to build it? Were you? I didn't build it. Okay. Yeah, it was a five zero deck. I, I took it and I changed like eight cards or something. Okay. Okay. Good to know. Uh, I didn't see it before you started tweeting about it. To be honest. So then, having not built it but doing very well with it, what do you think it's doing that's powerful in this format? Like we talk about synergy, we talk about power level of individual cards. Like, what axis is it operating on that other strategies aren't? At least in the um, format right now. So the the core principle is that Treasure Cruise is top five cards in the format, and it is a Treasure Cruise deck that uses the graveyard zero percent after Treasure Cruise, and so you have basically no sideboard weakness to unlicense hearse or rest in peace or things like that. If they play something like that and it exiles your graveyard. The worst case scenario is you just discard your Treasure Cruise to Ledger Shredder and or you just cast your Treasure Cruise for eight mana if the game goes long enough. And I, I've played enough Magic against Leyline of the Void and Rest in Peace where <laughs> I, I don't really care if they have them. If I just have Treasure Cruise, I can do something with it. So, okay, so let's say opponents got Hearse out and they're just chipping away at your graveyard and you can never cast that Cruise. You pitch it to a Shredder. Is Shredder then just the most powerful card in the deck? Uh. I- no, okay, so I, I want to stress that the, the deck has basically no vulnerability to graveyard hate because even when they do have graveyard hate, you have ways to turn your card into not being useless. Whereas if you play something like Is It Phoenix, you know, you not only have the treasure cruises, but you also have uh, the Arclight Phoenixes, which is your, your core uh, strategy for ending the game. And then you also have Temporal Trespass. So you're, you're just, you, your deck is way more vulnerable to graveyard hate than the Is It Pyromancer deck. Uh, the Ezra Pyromancer deck is also a lot more aggressive. You have eight one-drop creatures with prowess that can, um, you know, actually apply pressure against a Lotus Field deck or various combo or control decks where you can actually get under their counter spells. Whereas Phoenix sometimes flounders by just having too many dead removal spells. So um, both both of those things, I think, are, are some of the reasons why I, I like the Ezra Prowess deck with, with Young Pyromancer. 
Um, of one mind also just seems like a great replacement for um, expressive iteration. It just takes some hoops to jump through, but those hoops aren't nearly as backbreaking as you might think at the beginning. What is it good against? Um, I don't know. My first league, I played Mono Green four times, and I beat it three times. So I thought maybe it was pretty good against Mono Green. Um, I think that the card Treasure Cruise is kind of messed up against a Thoughtseize deck, so I think you're okay against uh, Rakdos Mid. But I did lose to it today, so you know I, I don't think that any deck has like a hundred zero matchup uh-huh. in any in anything in Pioneer. I think that you're pretty decent against the creature decks because you have nine cheap removal spells. Uh, I I think it's just a very flexible deck. I, if you go back and look at my replays, I went two one in almost all my matches. I think I had a two zero and a one two, and then everything else was two one in in two different leagues, ten matches. So it was like. Mostly going to game three, and that's because my sideboard plan was flexible. My my main deck was full of removal, but those could be substituted for counter spells, and it was just a very pliable deck. And and when you get a deck that is very customizable, um, you can kind of do whatever you want with it. Like I'm already thinking about ways to change it for next week. Like I want to play Dick Through Time, and I want to cut Reckless Rage, and I want to cut Monastery Swiss Beer. But doing all that makes of one mind worse. So you just have to find these little combinations of cards that make everything work together. And this build with this creature suite, I think is just good enough to work together so that of one mind becomes very strong. And every single card you change after that, though, is going to make it worse. And so I just have to figure out a way to change it or play something different. Do you ever see yourself cutting the pyromancers? Well, they are specifically there to fuel of one mind and they're extremely good. They're maybe the best card in the deck other than treasure cruise. So I think that they are better than Ledger Shredder in the games I was playing because they allowed me to play defense, and the Izzadex were just trash at defense before that. So same way, I mean, we saw Izzad Phoenix sideboard two, three young Pyromancers in the past, and they were always really good at, against like you know the mono white human decks or mono black aggro stuff like that. That's you're blowing my mind a little bit because I never think about Pyromancer as a defensive card but oh it's so good at defense that's that's why I this is what it. i gotta try this is what i gotta try to do yeah those other those elemental tokens block just fine and not everything has trample not even a lot of stuff in mono green has has trampled you know what i mean yeah cavalier you can block that thing forever and yeah. now that they're all playing um none of them play vivian arc ranger anymore so it's rare that you're just going to get slaughtered by something with trample you can take a few hits from an old growth troll and not really taste you know take too many too much damage from it Todd, Todd, can you can you help me understand how did Nissa, who shakes the world, become not a four of in 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 Nykthos and the Nykthos deck? I just don't get it, man. So you understand how curves work, right? Yeah, I mean, I've, 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 I've cast I'm, a sorry, I'm, curve I once or twice. I, that sounded a little more condescending than than I want. <laughs> no, it's, you are, it's, an, it's you no, are aware it's, that podcast, curves. Todd. You are aware that curves exist in decks for a reason, and and that reason is because. At any given mana cost, you're going to be either likely or unlikely to cast the card based on the turn it is, based on the number of lands you have in your deck, or mana sources you have in your deck. And uh, when you when you start looking at the construction of this build, you'll notice that not only is it hugely important that you find exactly Nykthos, aka you want to play Cavalier of Thorns, but you also need a bunch of green pips for Nykthos, and mm-hmm. you need something that's gr- a great hit, and I mean a great hit, off of uh, Storm of the Festival. Yeah. And Nissa is a great hit off Storm of the Festival, but you if you start to put too many of these legendary cards in your deck, then your Storm of the Festivals get worse. That's why we stopped playing uh, Voracious Hydra in the main deck. That's why, you know, we only play three Kiora. And... There's all these cards that we're we're wanting to play, 
but we can't really play because they're not good with Storm the Festival. And while I don't think Nissa is bad at Storm the Festival, uh, it just doesn't let you combo that well um, outside of hard casting it. Like if you're playing Storm the Festival to cast it, most time you'd rather find Cavalier of Thorns. But I, I, I'll say this. I have one Nissa in the deck. I've loved it. And I've thought about playing two, but every time I play two, I regret it. So I don't know. Yeah, so I, I have noticed that like the shift to it being a Storm of the Festival deck has kind of dramatically changed the construction of how the deck's working altogether. Do you think there are any either trap cards or trap decks in the format that... Oh, Yuki boy. <laughs> that, that you would not play yourself or advise your closest friends to approach? Um, so I think uh, I would stay away from Mono Blue Spirits. I know a lot of people who like that type of archetype and uh, have been talking about picking it up. But I played in one league and my first two opponents both had Skylasher and it decimated me. Mm-hmm. I, I don't I actually just conceded match in second match in the second game because oh, I, yeah. I was down I, a game. I was, I was watching. They played turn two Skylasher. I'm like, not doing this for the rest of the league, just gonna go play mono green or whatever instead. Yeah. And um uh, so I wouldn't play Mono Blue Spirits. I don't think it's bad. I just think that it has a huge vulnerability. And I would probably stay away from Grease Fang until it gets a little bit better. That's, that's about all I can say. Can we talk for a bit about Rakdos Midrange? Which I no. think is the, the weirdest deck. <laughs> the weirdest yeah, good course. deck. Like what? Like what? Like what makes this is it deck really good? that weird? Everyone, yeah, okay. everyone just poo-poos this deck. Well, and it's like, have you all, ever... They're all X3s. Okay, here's here's the deal. Um, they all cost three home. mana. Stomp costs two. What costs three mana? Tell me the cards in the deck that cost mm-hmm. three mana. Fable the Mirror Breaker. Trespasser. Graveyard Bone, Trespasser. Bone Crusher Giant. Kalidas costs four. Bone Crusher Giant ain't no damn three drop. I know. Sir. Bone <laughs> Crusher Giant is a two drop <laughs> removal spell that just so happens to have a big stompy toad boy on the end of it. <laughs> that allows you to curve out when you don't have another three drop. Yeah, I mean, I guess the, you can't. The cur- you cannot look at you cannot look at the cards based on their converted mana cost. You got to look what you actually do with them. Please tell us but, mana value now. Uh, no, oh, sorry, you're right. My bad. My bad. No, I understand for sure. No, like I mean, I think one of the flexibilities of this deck is like the curve flexibility, like you mentioned, is there, right? Where you have stuff to do with one mana, two mana, three mana, four mana, yeah. etc. And that's really good because you want. I mean, I noticed that. You definitely want to hit land drops with this deck, especially because I mean, but like what's weird for me about this deck is that the creatures for their rate, like they're sort of like just good enough, but it's kind of like what, what it's like what pioneer feels like it should be where it's like, it's all just good enough, but like, I feel like other, other decks have better stuff to do. Uh, are you specifically talking about the two drop all star blood tithe harvester? Is that the one you're Dude, you're you, mad at? You know what's weird about blood tithe harvester is every once in a while it just like closes it just locks out the opponent. Yeah, because yeah, it's a freaking watch wolf that can kill a land of war elves. Are you kidding me? Yeah, or like and when it combines with like the reflection of Kiki Jiki, you can just effectively yeah. like just make your opponent never have a creature on the board again. Or when it compares with Kalidas Trader of Ged and sacrifices itself to kill a creature and make a zombie. It without having to pay the mana, and you can cast it on curve. This is something like a synergy deck, Todd. Look, you're not wrong. There are some micro synergies, but for the most part, you're playing some of the best cards at the casting cost that are available in the format. 
you know, like th- this deck is mopey AF on the front. Uh, you know, if you're looking at it from from a paper perspective, you know, you got your multiple four drop planeswalkers with Sword and the Mirthless and Chandra. You got your multiple three drops with Fable the Mirror Breaker and Bone Crusher Giant and Graveyard Trespasser. And your two drops are just Blood Tide the Harvester, just like normal medium guys. And, and none of them really like are spectacular on their own. But over time, like, if you try to play against these guys, you're, like, playing against the 1999 All-Star team of the NBA, right? And, and But, like, no, they're not good together, but they're all just nuts on their own. And so, like, you just end up losing to Bone Crusher Giant in some games, or you just end up losing to Kalidus, or the second Fable of the Mirror Breaker, or the Chandra. And, like, all these cards kind of just generate these little micro-advantages, like... Graveyard Trespasser costs two cards to answer. Kalidus has four toughness and dodges a bunch of removal and sometimes makes a zombie. Um, Fable the Mirror Breaker, the second one that flips, like, the game's over. And sometimes when the first one flips, the game's over with something. Even Kroxa. Kroxa's like, oh, yeah. And then also, my boy Kroxa's coming in from the bench and he's just going to put you in the dirt. You know, he's going to post up. Yes, that's Big Shaq coming in, man. You can't stop him. Yeah, Croak, it's you're right. I guess it's it's when I when I play this deck, it does feel like you know the classic mid range deck where it's like every once in a while my stuff doesn't line up, but then every once yeah. in a while it lines up perfectly, and it's like, well, I'm uh, my Blood Tithe Harvester and, and Reflection of Kiki Jeek, you're closing the game out. Like good luck, or like you know Chandra Chandra sticks for four turns, and then you know right. game's over. And those synergies are what push you over the edge, but the where the how you get there is that everything is like a two for one. You know, even Graveyard Trespasser, you know, like you can try to ignore it a little bit, but the moment you don't play a spell on your turn, the moment that like you can't block it and they attack you with it and eat something and drain you, you realize how in jeopardy your life total is and how much you are behind. You know, you have to use basically two removal spells on Fable and they get to turn two lands into more action. They get to turn dead thought seasons into action. There's just so much powerful stuff going on that has nothing to do with each other, but they're all just good cards. You'd mentioned how vulnerable Rakdos is to mono green. What do the games look like when Rakdos can beat it? Like, what does the Rakdos player need to do or lean on to actually get that edge? Um, You need to uh, just kill their elves early. Um, if you can't kill their elves early, you need to use Thoughtseize to take care of their like one or two payoffs. Um, sometimes there's nothing you can do, and I think that that's one of the problems. Even stuff like Dreadbore, you know, you Dreadbore uh, Kiora, it's like okay, well, it only costs three, and it probably untapped a mana, and like it costs two, so it's it's even like a trade on even mana. But if you're using Dreadbore on like Karn, they've already got like Sky Sovereign, yeah. <laughs> or, or or you know, God forbid, they go get um. Not gate to the afterlife. I always met the the God, six drop. God Pharaoh statue. statue. Yeah, God forbid they get God Pharaoh statue, and then all your three drops are now five drops. Shane, yeah. can you imagine <laughs> oh, five for a bone crusher giant? Uh, not <laughs> you like basically this. Can't cast spells not anymore. this year. Anyway, if you want to win with black red, um, you just can't do it in a field full of mono green very easily. Now you can win. You know, you have the the capability to kill things. You have Noxious Grass on the sideboard. Fatal pushes to kill the elves. You know, you're, you can dismantle them. But it is almost never dependent on what you do, and it is only dependent on how they draw. And I think that that, for me, is one of the reasons why I don't really want to play Rakdos in the format. So, Todd, do you think Mono Green might be too good? <laughs> I'm not going to say the word, but I'm oh, no, no, around fine. it. Here's, here, here's what I'll say. 
Um, I want you to can you Google real quick? Can you go to Google? Can you do that for me? Yeah, yeah. Right. I want you to I want you to Google. I'm gonna do it with you. Let's go. Pioneer band list MTG. Okay? <laughs> I just want you to go and we're gonna Layla look at the Pioneer. How many ducks? We're gonna look at the band list for Pioneer real quick, and I just I'm just gonna read a couple of them to you, and then we can. And, and when you read these cards, let me know how many of them you're responsible for. All right, from all right. from, from 2020. All right. I'm not going to read all of them. So first off, they started with banning all five of the um, allied color fetch lands. Those are gone, right? They they continued with like Feldar Guardian, some other stuff. Um, I'm just going to read off a couple of these. Uh, nothing to do with them. Leyline of Abundance. Mm-hmm. You know what that one does? Do you even know what that card does? Yeah, yeah we, it just we were, makes yeah. a crap ton of mana off your dorks, right? Yeah, all your dorks tap for an extra mana. And, the, it. and it gives you two green pips. Yeah, it gives you two green pips, and for eight, you can put a plus one, plus one counter on all your stuff, right? And you can just cast the card, too. Like, you can just cast it on three, no problem, yeah, even if it's not on your it. opener. <laughs> yeah, but if, have you ever cast it, though? Because it's, no. pretty, it's pretty bad. No, it got banned pretty fast. It's pretty, it's pretty bad. Um, okay, so that's that's one. We also have... Um, so, this is not n- super normal, but Oko Thief of Crowns. That one was in a lot of builds. A lot of early builds were playing Oko and... Uh, Vivian Arcbo Ranger, and they were just like splashing off of the you know twelve untapped dual lands that enemy colors randomly get access to for no reason. Um, let's go. Once upon a time, have you heard of that oh, yeah. one? Oh yeah, cast one, one, one nuts, or two of those. Right. Well, that um, one just doesn't belong in Magic, right? Like, it, yeah, you it's know, been... I I think that they could unban it, but I, that's neither here nor there. Whoa. Uh, okay, that's another episode. <laughs> um, Veil of Summer. <laughs> Right. I keep forgetting right. that's banned in Pioneer. All right. That's why I'm, I'm so grateful that it we're is. We're still going, though. We're still going, though. And last but not least, this is the last one. Walking Ballista. Uh, so mad that's okay. banned. So out of all of these cards, um, I think you could unban three of them and then ban Nyctos. And it would probably be a slightly better format because there's already a ramp deck that exists, right? This the... Kozilek's Return, World Breaker decks just already exist, and they're not that bad. I think some of them did well in a challenge two weeks ago or three weeks ago. Um, but I have thought Nykthos was way too powerful for, for a very long time. And when I was playing Burning Tree Emissaries and mm-hmm. casting Turn 2, Nisu Shakes the World, oh, and Turn 3, Ulamogs on the regular, <laughs> you know, I was like, maybe we shouldn't be able to do this this easily. <laughs> And I was like, well, if you compare it really to anything, Nykthos is basically just Guy's Cradle. And in a lot of respects, it's better for this format than Guy's Cradle would, would be, maybe. And um, and I have just never felt like it was okay. So, yeah, I think that they could maybe ban Nykthos, but they also made it a promo. So, yeah. oh, God. Well, we'll see. I don't know that they're ever going to. Well, what's wild to me, Todd, and I'm curious on your take on this, is like I've I've won so many games with Mono Green without even using Nykthos, without having yeah, a Nykthos, because sure. it's just like it ramps and does really good stuff. I will say that in the old versions, that is 100% true. In the new versions, you almost always find it because you have Fourth of Nissa Still, which was also banned for a little while, by the way. Oh, yeah, I remember that. Mm-hmm. And then also you have Cavalier of Thorns, which can help find it. So And even Storm of the Festival finds it pretty regularly, too, so you can keep storming. So might as well I think do it. Might as well Nick, keep storming. Nykthos is, yeah, Nykthos is way more integral to the current builds than the old creature builds. But um, just, yeah, it's just way too good. All right. So as long as we're literally looking at the BNR page right now, I want to say I've been burned by Pioneer Bands twice. Most recently, it was Express Federation. 
the first one happened in 2020, and that was Smuggler's Copter. Wow. Am I a black guy? No. And, and just like, is it in Seoul? Just like... Is it in uh, Seoul? Did other they... fair aggro decks. Okay. So when they banned Smuggler's Copter, if you were playing in is it in Seoul, I got news for you. Um, it was just way too good in all the aggro decks it was in. But... That's another card I think that can maybe take off the ban list. Thank so. you. Yeah, really, that was my you question. Know. Like, do you almost it's feel like playable in modern? So it can't be that good, right? I, sometimes I feel like the design of the last year has sort of surpassed like the early pioneer bannings, and I'd almost want to see them unban as proactively as they ban, just to keep this format as iterative and interesting as possible. Yeah, but you also don't want to just like unban something and then have to ban it three months later because it just yeah. overtook stuff. Um, that's the danger with Smuggler's Copter, Umazawa's Jute, these colorless cards that just kind of go into any aggro deck or any control deck. You just have these cards that just, you know, even Walking Ballista, and, and when it was in standard, Hangerback Walker actually had this problem too, where um, the format, when, it, when it's low power enough or just it's a color combination that doesn't have a mana payoff, Hangback Walker or Walking Ballista or these other colorless cards are just very regularly the most powerful thing to be doing because they're just giving you access to an effect that you don't normally have in that color combination. Um, as far as Smuggler's Copter specifically is concerned, if you ever played against that mono black deck, every single creature they had can come back from the graveyard for like two mana, and it just made those decks like just way too consistent. But I love the card. I, I don't know. I don't mind it. I I watched some old matches. Uh, we watched like the entire Invitational where it won the Invitational in Mono Black deck. And every time he played Turn 2 Copter, I was like, okay, well, you just can never tap out and you can never win if they attack with it one time. Don't I feel like both of you, though, would, would agree that the format might be more interesting if Mono Black was still a deck. I mean, like that. yeah, but even Vampires was still a deck like three months ago, but it just kind of fell off. Yeah, for sure. I mean, like I love Mono Black when it was a uh, when it was a powerhouse. Even after a Smuggler's Copter got banned, I still it was definitely it was it was a tier one deck for quite some time, just because it was so good. I have one thing before we move on. You uh, you said the other card that you uh, got you were blindsided by. You were were you really blindsided? I I, I wouldn't were say blindsided. You? Just like hurt okay. deeply because like these are the hurt cards deeply. that I love to cast, and they were part of the reason why I would even play the format. All right, so I just want to be clear on this. So um, the card that I had banned was Winoda, right? I I, I <laughs> yeah. owned the Winoda deck, and it was banned. My whole deck died. Right. Your your expressive reiteration gets banned, and you can just play strategic planning. I don't think that you really went through that much, is all I'm saying. You didn't really take that big of a hit. Oh, casting strategic planning always feels horrible though like um, no, unless it doesn't have you ever oh. put a phoenix in the graveyard it feels so good i just but played that, that, that deck for a week like straight. the <laughs> only time phoenix. that's the oh, only time ah. well now that's, you gotta play of one mind and then we can get yeah. on the same page yeah I, i've been i've been liking learning the of one mind deck somewhat i've just pyromancer is a hard card for me to to understand just because like i've tried playing it in modern so many times that it was Never oh, you try playing in the format where it was horrible. Basically, try yeah. in a format that's where it's not. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I think I have to. Um, if, I could, if I could play Monster, oh, man, Monster I tried, yeah. God, y'all know I tried playing Monogreen Devotion in Modern, but it just sucks. <laughs> it was just I, bad. Until I put like Urza Lands in my deck, and then yeah, suddenly like yeah. it was a little more cohesive. I mean, Stan, Stan Todd does not really love Pioneer. 
Uh, he yes. was he was yes. gravitating towards he was he was gravitating towards the is it control deck. Yeah, that was the thing. Like I finally found a oh, deck. Oh, I see, I see. I finally found this Narset. What was your deck favorite part of the is it deck? Did did you like the Narset lock or did you like the Niv Mizzet turns? I really loved the turns where I had Narset on the board, a thing in the ice with one counter, and then I would do the wheel and just like wipe my opponent's board and strip so you're a monster. at the same time. Yeah, <laughs> yes. like just when I got you to are do the thing. Monstrous. That was that was my favorite part. And as long as we're talking about that, I actually want to do the craziest audible of all. What happened to Lotus Field in a world where like Narset doesn't exist anymore, or basically doesn't exist? They had already they had already moved away from being that vulnerable to Narset. At at some point, the only card that said draw a card in their deck was uh, Cycled Vizier Tumblers or whatever whatever it's called, and or um, Pour of the Pages and. The thing that actually happened with that deck, which was kind of wild, is that when they all started playing Emergent Ultimatum, they all started to uh, to do what I like to call soft combo or small combo, where uh, before they had to play probably 20 spells in a turn to actually win the game. And now they literally just go hidden strings to untap two Lotus Fields, cast Emergent Ultimatum, and the game's over. Yeah. It may take 20 game actions or whatever, but the game's over because they go get uh, Omniscience, a triple tutor, and an untap effect, and, and that combination of cards lets them get the Omniscience into play and do a bunch of stuff. It's like somewhat deterministic based on the mana floating, yada, yada, yada. So the thing that happened with that deck is that they actually became somewhat insulated from Narset, and the Narset decks put no pressure on them, and so they actually just farmed. And nowadays, though, there's just tons of mono blue control and mono red aggro and the Eidolons and the, and the and the cheap counter spells. And those decks really just beat up on Lotus Field because not only that, sometimes they just have Damning Sphere or Alpine Moon. And if you don't have the Besaju, sometimes you don't even have time to tutor for the Besaju because you're already just getting pounded by these little creatures like the Swiss Beers and such. So I, I think that the, the Lotus Field deck is, is inherently powerful, but it definitely has been nerfed multiple times in the last two years and it's certainly much worse now than it was two years ago with when it had lotus field or lotus or whatever the stupid enchantment underworld breach mm-hmm. i hate that card so much i've blocked out of my mind yeah that's 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 a that's a bad card should not exist all right so we we danced around it just a, a bit todd do you think this pyromancer deck has legs to stick around or, do, or does it need to keep innovating well so i will say that i think that it's somewhat in its i don't want to say primordial form but it's pretty close to like early development uh whenever there's a ban or a new set release with a bunch of cards that impact the format you're just going to see a bunch of decks change and a bunch of decks kind of try to adapt and and all the decks that are reactive have to then again change once more to to beat those and with with the uh is it prowess deck with young pyromancer this build, like I said, it, it's very customizable. You know, I think the removal suite can be changed. The creature suite can be changed. And every time you change something, though, you just have to to alter the deck slightly to compensate. Uh, Ovalin Mind needs X number of humans and Y number of non-humans. You know, Young Pyromancer needs X number of one mana pieces of interaction and card draw and, and so forth. And I, I think that the, the strength just comes from that customization ability. And and like I said, I, I'm going to be working on it over the next couple of weeks to try to Maybe try like a more controlling version with Dig Through Time and, and things like that. So I'm, I'm curious to see where it can go from here. D- does Of One Mind have to stick around or does Dig Through Time potentially replace it? Uh, it doesn't have to. I don't know that we want to play Four Crews and Dig. I just think that maybe we can do a build that's a little more instant speed oriented and and still plays like Dig Through Time maybe instead of Treasure Crews. While both cards are powerful, if you're being 
like, let's say if you're holding up a bunch of counter spells and stuff every turn, you want to be playing the deck that plays Dig Through Time instead of Treasure Cruise. Um, but if you're just tapping out every turn for Monastery or Swiss Beer, of course, you want to be playing Treasure Cruise because you just want the raw number of cheap, you know, cards that actually trigger it. You mentioned, or you kind of called it an Is It Prowess deck. Why no Sprite Dragon or even Stormwing? So I think Young Pyromancer just it fills a spot with Of One Mind to really fuel like that aspect of the deck because it's a human that can create non-humans to actually make of one mind only cost one mana i don't know how many times you've cast of one mind for one mana yet but it's pretty easy and it's pretty it, it, it's nice no doubt it, even at three like it'll recharge if you're going long yeah. and you have to cast it for three like it just recharges so you you have nice cast way. divination because that's what divination is <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> anyway but yeah it's it's one of those cards cast divination like, yeah, at home if your opponent kills all your creatures, like, oh no, what? Oh no, I guess I'll draw two cards for three mana. What big, right. you know, big deal. So, like that. That's the floor. The floor is divination, and the ceiling is one mana draw two, and that's outrageous. That, that's treasure cruise light. So, uh, if the, I think the strength of this build was the of one mind. Um, I'm probably going to move away from of one mind and change the prowess creatures to maybe a maybe I'll play a crackling drake or two and. Keep the Ledger Shredders and the Empire Mancer and just try some build that maybe taps out a little more for Crackling Drake. Yeah, right Crackling on. Drake can really close a game. Yeah, for sure. I've loved it in the Phoenix decks as a one-of. Sometimes you just double time walk and in that free turn you cast Crackling Drake and then they're dead. Yeah, I'm, I'm excited to see what, what you keep doing with it. And um, it, we, we've mentioned your Patreon, but like you're actually posting Patreon content about this deck too, like sideboard guard yeah. guides and, and some in-depth yeah. material. My last three articles, um, I do one article a week on there. I try to make that consistent. If I, I, I don't think I've missed an article yet, except I was on vacation one week. But um, uh, this past week, I did uh, Is It Prowess with Young Pyromancer. The week before that, I did a cyborg guide with Is It Phoenix. And I did a cyborg guide for Is It Pyromancer as well. And then uh, the week before that, uh, I did Monogreen Devotion. But instead of a cyborg guide, it's mostly Karn Target. So I just did, here's all the common lines you can find in a oh. green deck. Here, here's like your tips and tricks scenarios. So those are my three most recent pieces of content. If any of that interests you, just make sure to check out patreon.com slash Tandy. Perfect. Okay. So let's get down to final brass tacks here. Okay. Like, so if you're listening to this podcast, if you are not deeply familiar with pioneer, if you are just someone who likes playing magic, likes playing modern plays a lot at the LGS, that kind of stuff, how would you advise people to approach playing this format competitively? Would it be find the best deck in the play style that you like? Or do you think that, combo is just not good enough or that aggro like just raw aggro has some issues and so you need to play more synergistic grind them out type aggro like what what pops into your head when i say approaching pioneer the smartest way well i think you hit the nail on the head um my go-to recommendation is check out mtg goldfish look at the top 15 decks or whatever and pick which one you think would fit your playstyle best because almost everyone has a playstyle. i like playing Lenore Elves, and I like beating down, and I like playing uh, Is a Charm, you know? Like, th that, th those are my three modes, and so I'm going to either lean towards Mono Green Ramp, Is it of some kind, or a Mono Red. Those are, like, my three top decks. Or not, those are my three picks for me, but for everyone, it's different. Like, I, I, one of my Patreon tiers is, like, one-on-one -on -one meetings with me, and that's what I do a lot of times with people who are newer to the format. They're like, what should I play? And I go, I literally take 30 minutes with them and go over all the decks and say, this is the one that you should play based on what you've told me. 
And usually that's enough for them to kind of get jump started into the format. So and those are always fun. But um, but yeah, it's definitely just pick the one that's your play style, but try to stick within the realms of what's established. And then you can kind of, like I said, all the archetypes are malleable once you're in that archetype. And so once you're there, you can kind of figure out the things that you like and don't like, and you can kind of change them out. And and you've gone to, I think, probably one or two LGS sort of level tournaments in your life. How do you think other people are approaching this format right now? And would you try to metagame that or would you try to just bring the best deck that you felt most comfortable with? Uh, if you're going to, there's two levels, right? If you're going to your Friday Night Magic, your Wednesday night Pioneer event at your local store, I would say just master an archetype, play one deck every week, maybe change a couple cards here and there every week. If something gets banned, you know, everything's up in the air. Uh, if you're going to go to an RCQ and you want to be competitive, I suggest picking one of the best three decks in the format. Right now, I think those three decks are Monogreen Ramp, Is It Phoenix, and the last one's Dealer's Choice. Rakdos Midrange has the better numbers, but I honestly think that Blue Eye Control is probably slightly better. I'm not a big fan of Lotus Field. I think a lot of the aggro decks get exploited very easily by Rakdos Midrange, and I think the Rakdos Sacrifice decks are just too low power and get absolutely hammered by Karns out of Mono Green. So I would just lean on, you know, pick the best deck among the top 10 and stick with that one, and you'll probably be fine. Hold on, I'm writing this down. Switch a couple cards every week. That sounds, okay, this sounds it. like your MO, Stan. Do you do you not have a box of cards that like so you so you, you Sir, have you played Pioneer Trail LGS? Like uh, this the 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 listener can't hear this, but I'm just pointing to my boxes no, of we're, sleeved we, up we, cards. We make fun of Stan because he's 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 the kind of guy who's just like I played two games didn't feel right I'm gonna switch five cards. I mean this is an exaggeration, but you know. Yeah. It's, yeah. I mean, Perfect. I did switch up a couple cards in your sideboard, Todd. I, I didn't want to get into that nitty gritty of, of Pyromancer. <laughs> Look, but I was like, uh, I want I some Kozlaks to turn too, in here. So that, that's fine. I, I change some cards too. Every time I play the deck, I change like three or four cards just because I want to see what's good and what's not. You hear that, Shane? I'm just like Todd. Yeah. <laughs> but like I said, you know, I, I used to write a, a series on Star City Games way back in the, in the day uh, called the Teamer Box. It was a play on uh, Patrick Sullivan's red box where every single time he would travel, he would bring a box of red cards. And if he happened to have an instance where he could play magic, he would just build a mono red deck. I had the same thing with Teamer and it started with Teamer twin. And I just had, you know, 40 extra cards where it was like, you know, four Jataxian probes when I wasn't always playing four and fork bolts and flame slashes when I wasn't sure what removal spells I was going to play. And and the night before the tournament, I would just take out my box and I would just kind of look through and sometimes I'd get an idea. I'd be like, oh, Gunshot's pretty good right now because people are really heavy on Birds of Paradise and I'm playing Snapcaster Mage. So I'm like, oh, maybe I'll play two Gunshot. And then I get to the tournament and I'm like, Spreading Seizure Land, Gutshot Your Elf, like Snapcaster Gutshot Your Other Elf, and, I, and then I just dominate like an elf deck just because I have Gutshot on my sideboard, stuff like that. And like that came to fruition all the time when I was playing, not just at the, the LGS level, but I was playing like the classics on day two uh, at, at the opens and stuff. And, and th- that's another place where that type of deck building where you can just kind of recognize trends and you have access to this pile of cards, you can kind of put two and two together while you're just killing time. So yeah, I mean, I, I love being told just keep playing Mono Green Ramp. I'm fine with that. I'm, I can do that. <laughs> no problem. But Todd, uh, thanks for all your insight on Pioneer. Uh, it's been a fun conversation as always. 
Yeah, no problem. And it's time for you again. We've we've promoted you a little bit. Let's r- remind people what do you, what do you well, first off, Todd? What are you into lately? Hopefully, besides magic, what do you what are you into? I know that you're doing a lot of cooking. Uh, pic- yeah. Your pictures on Twitter are always super appetizing. Yeah, just tonight I made um, I made a soy miso hot pot with just like a ton of different vegetables, and oh, yeah. I made a a tare and some chicken broth, and I just kind of spread it around everything, and then I put a put a lid over it and let it cook for thirty minutes on high and Put some sliced, you know, thin beef on on the middle and had that cook in. It was great. That, it was sounds, awesome. that sounds good as heck. Yeah. So that that's the type of thing I do every night. I you you only stream you, you watch the stream a bunch. I I've been quitting a little early these <laughs> days because at four o'clock I'm like, oh, I need to go prep dinner, and I I literally go downstairs and I cut vegetables for half an hour. Mm-hmm. I figure out what I'm gonna make, and then and then I just plan it out and I, I make sure everything. Uh, my mise en place. I get my mise en place. Yeah, the mise en place. Uh, yeah. You gotta have the salt, the, then the little yeah. little dish. Um, I've probably watched about 400 hours of cooking videos in the last six months. Oh my gosh! Where I well, I play everything on 2x speed. Okay. So you know, I don't have to. When I watch them chop vegetables, I'm like, oh, okay, this is how they're cutting them. I don't need to watch them cut them for five minutes. Anyway, uh, so I've been cooking a bunch. Um, if you want to check out my content, I stream most weekdays, uh, noon to five, Twitch.tv/Tandy. Um, I uh, stream all the time, almost always Pioneer. Um, I've been streaming a, a couple other games at the end of stream recently. I've been really into Fall Guys. I just I'm really good at the game and I love playing. There it. are guys that fall. <laughs> yeah, it's a it's basically a puzzle uh, platformer battle royale. Basically, is what I call it. If you want to check out my written content, you can or you want uh, access to me personally, you can check out my Patreon. That's Patreon.com/Tandy. Um, I have multiple tiers. One of which is uh, one on one time every month. Another which is just unlock all the articles. And that one's five bucks. So. And then uh, last but not least, you can follow me on Twitter, uh, twitter.com slash TandyMTG. Awesome. All right, Todd, thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, it was um, a pleasure. It was my first time meeting you, but I've been a huge fan of your online content for the longest time. I never miss an episode of Rants when you're on. Sometimes I miss their other episodes if I'm not particularly interested in the format or whatever baseball teams they're focusing on. They do a lot of rambling. They do a lot of rantling. But whenever Todd's on, those are must-listens. I feel like your Twitter's a must-listen. Your stream is a must-watch. So thank you so much for everything you do. And that wraps up this week's show. If you haven't yet, make sure you subscribe to The Dive Down so you get the latest episodes as soon as they come out. Wherever Dive Down and other podcasts are served, we're on YouTube, we're on Spotify, anywhere else you listen to podcasts. And if you use Apple Podcasts, please leave us a rating and review. You can leave us a review or a rating on Spotify as well. Of course, make sure you follow Tandy wherever Tandy is. You will not regret it. If you'd like to submit a question to our podcast or just reach out in general, you can tweet us at the dive down, all one word. You can even email the dive down at gmail.com. If you'd like to support our show, you can join our Patreon over at patreon.com slash the dive down. You can also support us while playing Magic with a Mana Trader subscription. If you use Promo code the dive down 15 all one word. Get 15% off your first two months of renting Magic Online cards. You can also get a discount on physical cards over at nerdragegaming.com with code TDDNRG. Get 8% off every order you make until further notice. That's TDD, like the dive down, NRG, like Nerd Rage Gaming. That's it. 8% off every purchase over there. And finally, the Dive Down 15 also gets you 15% off your first order over at Barrister and Man. As always, special thanks to the bands Nowhere and Spaceblood for letting us use their music. And until next week, get out there and spike a Pio Tournament!